Greetings everyone and welcome to Motors and Martinis. I'm Carrie Hubbard, Carrie's Garage YouTube, and with me today, a very like-minded, unique, odd, strange, wonderful, dear friend of mine, the usual partner of this podcast, the founder of Malay's Motors, Brian Rab Davis. And today, I'm kind of surprising Brian with something. I mentioned I had an idea but didn't tell him what it was so I'm gonna actually spring it on him and I think everyone is going to actually really enjoy this but first before we get started a couple of things one a little housekeeping I want to thank all of our listeners we have actually started getting a few emails from people some input requests to be on the show and everything you guys send is wonderfully appreciated if we don't get back to you right away, we're both busy. We have crazy lives, things going on, scatterbrained issues, but we usually try and get to you as soon as we can. And uh, again, thank you so much. We do it for you guys and because we like to banter and people like to listen. But besides that, how is everything going for you there, Brian? Well, I've got to say, after, um, you know, chaos, it seems like I, I almost always uh, int- introduce my segment of the show by saying things are crazy here. And... As per usual, they are, but actually in a good way. And uh, I, I can I can uh, be forthright because I've signed the papers. But I have just accepted a job with the auction department of Hemmings Motor News. Ooh, that's exciting and an in- fun new big step. Oh yeah, it's 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 a great honor because I mean you know Hemmings is is a well established name in the classic car community, and uh, uh, for them to have enough faith in me to hire me as a as a full time employee, I just am you know chuffed to pieces over that. I gotta say. So, are you going to be writing for them, doing editorial kind of stuff, or can you say what you're going to be I, doing? I I can talk a little bit about it. I won't be doing much editorial stuff. It's going to be a lot of research, uh, basically. Uh, appraisal work in their auction department where I'll be um, checking pricing trends and assessing cars and suggesting uh, reserves where they should be set, things like that. So uh, yeah, a lot lot more research oriented, but I will still probably be doing a little bit of editorial work. That sounds like fun. That would actually be a really enjoyable job. I've kind of tried to figure out how to get into that myself, but you know, I know it can be difficult, so I get discouraged. So yay you! It, it was difficult. I, uh, you know, I, I networked, I spoke with people, I've been working for them for, uh, gosh, four, maybe six months now on a freelance basis. So I had to do that for them to get to know me and feel comfortable with me and also see that I was pretty good at what I did. And then I was able to segue into an interview, but it was certainly not an overnight uh, adventure. It, it happened uh, very gradually. Well, that's great to hear you were able to get into doing that. I know you had been trying to really push forth to get in, so I'm glad it worked out. That's awesome. Thanks. And and I've got a, one more little thing on my end. So I, uh, you know, I know Motors and Martinis, we talk about just about every sort of car, um, and I know I'm known as Mr. Malay's Motors, but uh, I love everything. And I got the, I had the privilege of writing about a 19... Um, I said 34, 36, that's terrible. I wrote the article, I should know. But I got to cover a beautifully restored, supercharged Duesenberg Rolston convertible sedan for Old Cars Weekly. And uh, I was so pleased when I got their uh, Auburn Court Duesenberg issue in the mail that my article was the cover story with my photo of the car on the cover of the magazine. So I thought that was really, really cool. That is absolutely incredible. And what, oh, what an opportunity. That almost makes me speechless. That's like... 
an ultimate dream of mine to experience a car like that. I mean, that's one of the gods of cars is that right there. Oh my goodness. Oh. Oh, it it truly is and I will I I can't get too detailed, but I will say there was there was a bit of a heart-stopping moment during the photo shoot. Everything was fine, no harm done. Uh, but uh, there 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 was a brief moment of panic. But uh, the curator of the collection that uh, owns the Duesenberg uh, is a smart and resourceful guy, and we were able to overcome this uh, sticky situation. We'll just leave it at that. Wow, I mean, still that is, that is really cool. I'm. I'm very. I'm not one to get super jealous, but I'm really jealous. So um, n- now that we've gone over uh, the recent happenings in my existence, how uh, are things transpiring for you out in Albuquerque? I know you've had some some friction with the uh, municipality, as it were. Um, that is a absolute nightmare, and it's just getting worse. It's. I've court on October 11th. I've, you know, I have counsel. It's, it's, um, I've started working on more of a, uh, zenful meditation of trying to have a level head about it because I can easily lose my mind and just go batshit about what's been going on. But I'm just trying to be very zen about it and just work through it. And, um, it is what it is and we shall see what happens. But I am definitely. Uh, working towards figuring out the logistics of I 100% am going to move. I'm not going to stay here anymore. So if all goes to plans by fall of 2024, I will be relocated to the Pacific Northwest. But it is what it is, and I have to live life day by day at this point. <laughs> well, but, I, I think you're right to move. Yeah, it's it's time. But at least throughout this nightmarish insanity and having to deal with all the drama of them, at least I have a wonderfully bizarre Cadillac to drive around on the daily, which I have been doing and I adore quite dearly. Which, as of today, which by the time this episode airs, my episode will be on YouTube. So if you go to Carrie's Garage YouTube, you will see the episode on the 1985 Cadillac Sedan DeVille with the V6 diesel. Because I did a filming today and it will be released tomorrow morning. That is outstanding. I must say, I'm really envious of your uh, the fact that you have not one but two 4.3 liter GM diesel V6s because those are, uh, you know, there there are esoteric cars and then there are very esoteric cars and those are very esoteric cars uh, because of their power plant. Oh, a- absolutely, and the whole. For me, it's the design, the idea, the execution, the time frame. Everything all kind of mixing together is what the fascination for me is on it. And uh, I was actually at Cars and Coffee on the weekend with it, just talking with a couple of friends of mine. And the car of it in itself is invisible. You know, an 85 front-wheel drive DeVille, that the paint's kind of meh on it. People don't even look at it. But I started it up, and this guy ran over, and he even said, What in the hell is wrong with your car? And I'm like, Nothing. I literally looked at it because, you know, I'm used to the esoteric nature of owning a bunch of weird cars. So I, I don't really think about it. And I was like, what, what did it fall? Something fall off? I mean, what, what do you mean was wrong? He's like, God, the engine sounds terrible. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, it's a diesel. It came that way. And he gave me a look of just complete confusion. Like, how is that even possible? But I enjoy it. It's, it's a wonderful car. Oh, actually, speaking of cars and coffee, there's a, a really good one that takes place just a 
few miles from the house and Chris and I were there last Sunday and there were some other mutual friends there and uh, we went to look at this guy's little collection and he's a Batman fanatic and he has built a Batmobile on a I want to say a 79 Continental Lincoln Continental chassis and it's dead accurate but to get even better, he built a bat cave for it. The interior of his garage is lined in fake stone. He's got a bat motorcycle behind it. There's all the Batman cutouts. It even has, there's even a barricade so that when the garage door comes up and he drives out, the barricade drops just like in the old Adam West Batman. It's, it's hilarious. It was great. And if that isn't enough, he had a 1967 uh, Meteor Cadillac uh, ambulance, uh, all original, uh, blue on blue, I almost had a heart attack just to go to the hospital. It was it was fantastic. That sounds brilliant. I love those that era ambulance Cadillac hearse stuff. I mean, oh, there's such some of the earlier ones that were so just over the top. They were wonderful. Adore them. Well, and this one had a dual air conditioning setup. There was one for the driver's compartment, and there was another where the outlet was actually right on the gurney, so the, the poor patient on their way to, to the hospital would be kept cool or warm as needs be. That's really neat. Well, at least you get to see some neat vehicles. Pretty much everything other than two cars at the Cars and Coffee I went to were just like, ooh, look, another modern car with a blower on it with wheels that don't fit correctly. Yay. But if that's your thing, oh. cool. <laughs> nice save there nice save I, I I will keep my personal opinions of things to myself and like I've always said I might not agree with it it might definitely not be my thing but if it brings you pleasure and joy in your life more power to you and I'm glad you enjoy it I oh, will leave I, it at I that. agree I agree there's there's been a role I want to say is it a is it a phantom three it's a, it's a pre-war Rolls Royce that's been making the rounds of the internet lately uh, and someone has converted it to electric propulsion and uh, you know for one they my understanding is it's a bolt-in conversion so the car was not permanently modified and for two they <clears throat> they uh, styled the I don't know if it's the battery pack or the electric motor itself in the engine bay they sort of did this riveted shrouding over it it looks like what it would look like if rolls-royce themselves had done an electric car at that time they they really kind of honored the aesthetic of the car and you know there was so much catcalling and so much hatred and i'm like they didn't chop it up so who the hell cares i think it's kind of cool and besides electric power is smooth silent and instantaneous and what could be more rolls-royce than that and it doesn't have an LS that somebody somebody chopped into it. So kudos to them. Exactly. Exactly. But anywho, so what I was going to kind of surprise you about and talk about is I wanted to start a Motors and Martinis guest speaker series. And we're going to start it off by us talking about it. But what I want you, everyone out there, listeners, to send us an email and if you need it again, I will tell you it is Motors and Martinis podcast at gmail.com. And I want to start getting a feel and learning on people's collecting perspectives. So I want to hear how you got into how you collect cars and how it evolved. Like for me, it is a wild evolution that we'll get into here in a little bit. But I find it really fascinating hearing people's stories and their background on 
getting into it and life progression into the automotive world of collecting, which I will start with you. How did you get into the world of cars? Well, I think it probably stems from my interest in history generally, which I've always had. My first love was actually trains, you know, as, as with so many little boys. Um, and apparently I still love trains because I married a steam locomotive engineer, but that's another story for another day. Um, so that was the first one. But I, I grew up in an auto parts store. My, my grandparents ran an auto parts store, and uh, so there were always cars around. The, the family cars, most of them were not too terribly interesting. We had, you know, uh, nice, but inter- not not esoteric. Like we had Lincoln Town cars, such as I now have. We had a nice Chevy K5 Blazer and... You know, we had things like that. Very, very pedestrian, normal cars were what what we drove. Um, But uh, I I remember being a kid and picking up Grandpa's classic car books and thumbing through them and just being, you know, transfixed by names like Lozier and Durier and Packard and and Marmon and, uh, above all, Duesenberg. Uh, always love the Duesenberg, especially the short chassis J models with the supercharger. Um, you know, they, there's this great photo I remember of the car kind of from above, and you could really just see how you know, thrusting it was and had those great dramatic exhaust pipes out of the hood. And I, I just thought that was marvelous. I also had a thing for brass era Model Ts. So that was when I was a kid, and I, and, and, you know, I also liked radios and just understanding how things worked and and all those things sort of sort of dovetailed together and I and in my mid you know my late childhood early adolescence I kind of put cars to the side uh, not that I didn't like them it just they just weren't in, in you know front of mind at that time but uh, after I got my driver's license um, my interest in cars really re- reawakened with an absolute vengeance. Um, I remember pulling books from the high school library, and, and I'd read Ralph Stein, um, you know, The Great Cars, and he's still one of my favorite writers. And we had these wonderful books in the library about uh, Jaguar cars, and I remember just marveling at the the beautiful Jaguar XK in Line 6, uh, the, the luscious interiors that Jaguar put in their cars for so many years, not so much these days. Uh, and that was fascinating. Then, of course, one of my very good high school, both of my, actually two of my very good high school friends were car guys. And, you know, one of them, my good friend Zach, had a Mazda RX-7, a Series 2 Mazda RX-7, and occasionally had his mom's Miata, which he did things with that she still has not forgiven him for. And, yeah, that, uh, you know, you're 17 and your friends like cars and you like cars and cars, 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 cars. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, that was a bit of a ramble. I, I apologize to you and those listening. That was actually kind of the point of this because I know we both have our squirrel ADD rambling moments. But learning history and seeing how people have evolved into what they are today and how they collect cars is a ramble, a rambleable, if that's even a word, um, subject. So no worries. Ah, uh, so. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to about seven years ago, and I was bored one day, and I started the Malaise Motors Facebook group, which uh, I I don't entirely know how, but there's a certain ineffable magic around the Malaise Motors name, and it's managed to uh, take on a huge life of its own. But shortly after I founded it, 
I realized that I should probably have a malaise motor of my own to drive around in, and I'd always had a soft spot for the boxy late 80s Lincoln Town cars because Grandma and Grandpa had a couple of them, and they're cool cars, and I found one <clears throat> for sale up in Auburn, California, and I, I drove up there to take a look at it, and it was a nice car, and, and I liked it, and price was right, and uh, but as, as per usual, I didn't have the extra cash on hand to buy the damn thing, story of my life. Uh, so I drove back to, to Fresno a little bit crestfallen and disappointed, and I, I text the guy and I, I say, you know, I really like the car, but uh, you know, the, the money's just not available right now unless you want a, want a motorcycle. You want maybe trade for a motorcycle? Uh, as it just so happened, he did want to trade for a motorcycle because he wanted a bike for his old lady, and I had a beautiful Honda Magna 750 that was probably going to kill me. Uh, so I trailered the bike up to up to Auburn, and he took it for a ride, and we went and traded pink slips, and that was that. Oh, that is brilliant. Which actually reminds me i know you you sold the uh, little fiat right i did sell the little fiat i love that car more than just about any car i've ever had but i just didn't feel right using it as a daily driver it it would it's 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 a baby ferrari it's a baby exotic it needs to be pampered and i i just thought i should have something more prosaic for a daily driver and Used cars right now are just ungodly expensive, uh, so I was, you know, I was afraid I might have to drive a Nissan Versa or something, which is a fate worse than death. Um, but uh, at this very same Cars and Coffee, one of the friends I mentioned happened to have a 1999 Buick LeSabre with 40,000 miles on the clock that he offered to me for a price that I could not refuse. So that's sitting in your driveway now? Uh, actually, it's not. We haven't concluded the paperwork yet. He's got it registered in Delaware, and the title's at his place up there. So uh, I'm going to be up there for another car event here in a couple of weeks, and, and we'll 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 do the deed at that time. But I've been driving it the last couple of days, and yeah, I'll tell you, it's just you know, it's a Buick Lesabre. It's comfortable. It's smooth. The air conditioner is cold. Uh, he it's you know he's done a good job of taking care of it. It's got recent shocks, struts tires you know it, it's very very solid and it's almost as clean underneath as a west coast car oh that is so cool what a great car is a daily too yeah it's kind of perfect and since i've just accepted this position with hemmings which is a work from home job it'll be a lot easier to keep the thing out of the road salt because that was my big concern with running something like that is not so much reliability i just didn't want it to get rusted all to hell when i if i took it out but now i can i can uh, you know avoid a lot of that and so yeah there's no reason why i can't get a number of years use out of this car it's only got forty thousand miles on the clock and it's a 3800 car oh you damn right oh man that is great oh yes well i asked a very dear friend of mine who's uh, one of the best mechanics i know and uh, a longtime auto industry person i was i'm like chuck do i buy this 2015 chevy cruise with a six speed for nine grand or do i buy this 1999 buick park avenue for rather less than half of that and he said buy the buick lords of town assembly was never that great for quality nice i think i would agree but that's cool i'm, the, the, I'm excited the cruises yeah cruises were built at lords town oh i've yeah i, I won't get into those <laughs> 
But the Buick, that sounds awesome. I'm excited for you. Congrats. Oh. Now, what's really interesting about it, though, is, you know, when you think Buick LeSabre, you think that it's a big car. And it's certainly, you know, it's a full-size sedan. But when I'm driving this thing in the SUV-populated roads of today, like, I feel very low. Like, I, you know, like, people in Teslas are kind of looking down on me. And here I am in a full-size Buick. Oh, oh yeah. The people in Teslas are always looking down on someone. But that's another story for another day. Or they're looking out their cameras. But anyways. <laughs> well, that's cool. I'm super excited for you. And uh, we can... Well, actually, that's post-Malaise. That's not even a Malaise car anymore. Yeah, well, that that's... Yeah, that's a 99. Although it's still the, the body style that came out during the era. But, you know, we're... You know, as time goes on, with every passing year, more cars fall into the realm of... I'm not going to say classic, but fall into the realm of special interest. And this... Uh, gets into that ballpark. That's why I actually started another Facebook group called Contemporary Common Classics, which is 1996 through uh, 2003, a 20-year rolling exemption. Sounds like we've got a little thunderstorm rolling in. I don't know if you can hear that on, on the mic, but uh, anyway. I can. It sounds like somebody's pushing a cabinet around your house. Yeah, it was, you know, here I am in the mid-Atlantic, and it was, you know, 98 degrees today and muggy, and then there was a cold front coming in, and when you have warm, moist air meeting cool, dry air, we know what happens. Oh, yes. But on uh, on some of the things with cars, I was actually telling Zach recently, because I sold my 2019 Golf GTI Rabbit Edition that I bought brand new with seven miles on it, so I could buy the 85 Cadillac DeVille diesel. And I came to this really interesting conclusion recently that I have zero desire to have a large touch screen in the center and this and that and clicky buttons and tech. And this, for me, driving an older vehicle with a simple radio, simple AC climate controls, just a good simple driving car brings me much more pleasure and comfort and also a le lot less... Um, uh, technological distraction while you're driving because I even found with the with the radio touchscreeny thing in my rab my 2019 GTI it was fairly distractive and you know my Cadillac I push a button I go it's 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 something that really brings me a lot more um, visceral pleasure and so I'm just gonna drive my old stuff leave it at that well well that was one of the things I liked about the Fiat the Fiat was a 2013 uh, so it was old enough that it was still quite analog i mean it still had bluetooth and whatever but you know it was a basic system and everything about it was very tactile the steering had feedback the shifter had feedback the throttle was very precise and again it's probably a drive-by-wire throttle but it was still an old enough car and a light enough car that it really talked to the driver about what the road was what the road feels like uh, you know, you could hear the engine. You just, you, you were just very aware of all the things going on to make the car go, and it was really visceral, very, very, very engaging. Nice. I've driven, I've driven a few of those, and the the Abarths, I always rather adored it. It was great. A friend of mine bought one brand new, and he put one hundred eighty-five thousand miles on the damn thing. Drove it coast to coast multiple times. It was a hoot of a car. Oh, they're absolutely wonderful. But, uh, you know, again, I, I, I got to say that the, the extra space afforded me by the LeSabre is welcome. Oh, oh, yes. I definitely would agree. But, um, anyways, that was kind of a side subject because I was curious about your car things these days. Uh, back to the subject of what the 
podcast is about. Um, for the world of automotive love and collection with me, for instance, um, I grew up with... Wow, that was a... Was that Thunder? Yes, sir. Oh, my God! That that was a bit of a boomer. I Wow. Must be Whatever, boomer. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> um, so, I had a very odd upbringing with... Uh, my grandparents owned a Japanese car repair shop, a Japanese car care. My grandfather hated European cars because he worked on DKWs back in the early 60s when he worked for the Malloy Brothers, so he rather was fond of Japanese cars, and I grew up with it here and there, but my mom would always tell me stories about, you know, her cougar in high school and this and that, and I always had this fascination for cars, even at a very, as an infant, I was just, you, if I was crying, you could calm me down by giving me a set of car keys for some reason, or throwing me in an old Beetle, and I would just stand there and pretend to drive, and then when I was I don't know, five, six, some years old. Uh, my mom bought me this book called Cars of the Fabulous 50s. And I read that book. It was from 1950 to 1959. And I read that book so many times, I think the binding fell apart. And it was fascinating. And, of course, I always was like, ooh, that's a cool car, lusting after, like, the King Midget or the Nash Metropolitan, which should have been an indication early on in life that I was going to go for the really weird things. I was also going to say should have was also an indication that you were probably a homosexual. <laughs> yeah, then putting Ken with Ken in the Barbie dolls. But anyways, this is a different story for another day. Um, and I, I I don't know. I just I've always loved them. I always looked at them. And then when I was a teenager, and my mother jokingly told me she bought a Volkswagen bus for me. And I got super excited, and she was like, no, I'm kidding. I don't want you to have that. So I ended up buying it anyways, my 1971 VW Westfalia hardtop camper van, and that kind of started my craze. And um, I got to working on cars mostly out of pure necessity because when you're a broke 15-year-old with a 71 VW bus, you learn to fix things because it was going to break. And if I wanted to get to school, I had to fix it, and I got quite good at that. And then, God, by the time I was 16, I had already bought and sold like five or six cars behind my mother's back. See, that was where you were, you were one up on me on that one. I, I never really was, I mean, I've bought and sold cars, but uh, I, I never really got good at it. Mine was partly having really bad ADHD, um, having far too much odd love of things. And granted, yes, starting out early, you know, Ula Camaro, Mustang, GTO, you know, the cars that you would commonly see in the Southwest in New Mexico is not really a big hub for the odd car world that I love so much. It's a very contemporary hot rods, big block muscles and this and that. I saw two, when I was in Albuquerque visiting, I saw two Jaguar four twenties on the same day and moving under their own power. Yeah. I mean, there is that the one thing that New Mexico has going for it for the weird car world. It's, it's a bit more, spread out it's not as condensed as like out in california or washington or you know the east coast where you have like french car clubs or the russian car club or you know the re really weird large popu population of you know uh, weird vehicles is we have sandia national labs we have los alamos national labs we have multiple air bases uh down south to where we have a lot of extremely unique and very alternative-minded people that would buy the two-stroke Saabs, the Citroen Ds, the, the Jags, you know, all these vehicles. So they're 
there is a lot of them here, but as far as the exposure and the like community basis around them, there really isn't, which is what I enjoy. But um, my unique love of odd cars really started in 2006 in San Luis Obispo at the Great Autos of Yesteryear uh, West Coast Meet when I met the Citroen car group and one of the guys, Pete, that had his triple gray Charleston there. And I was like, oh my goodness, a Citroen. This is fascinating. I got for a ride in it. And then I went for a ride in a 71, I think, DS21 Palace, which my friends Christian and Philip owned, Monsieur Hulot. And that was the first time I got to ride in a Citroen D series. And I was hooked and I fell in love from there on. And yeah. So speaking of i was on my way to a job in downtown annapolis and i completely on act i was driving my 89 lincoln and completely on accident i found myself at the head of a parade consisting of a dochevo and two proper minis Ooh, nice yes yeah, my lincoln and it was a charleston well it was at least it was black over burgundy so oh, so my is... lincoln a black over probably a charleston black over burgundy dochevo uh, and orange mini from the 70s clubman i want to say it was and then another uh, i want to say blue or green it was blue uh mini 1960s vintage and i think there was a oh wait oh yeah and there was uh, a um, fiat 500 an original cinquecento in that uh, lineup as well so it was everyone bringing out their cool small cars in annapolis day apparently nice so the the uh, burgundy on black was i think the most common colored of the 2cv charleston because there were Memory serves. There were three colors on a Charleston. There was the burgundy and black, the triple gray, and the yellow and black, which the yellow and black is my all-time favorite, and I believe the rarest and most collectible. Well, it's got to be, to my, I, I was not aware that there were other colors for Charleston. I thought they were all black over burgundy. That's because that's the only ones you see. Because <laughs> they're, my, oh, uh, there, my good, there you go. My good friend that I actually stayed with, because uh, I don't think, the last podcast was before my trip or was it after my trip i don't remember um my friend that i stayed with up in seattle he has a burgundy and black charleston that he's had for a long time and he even said he wants to paint it a different color because there's so many of those bloody things when he goes out to car gatherings that he's tired of losing his charleston because there's so many of the burgundy and black cars well, maybe he could leave the black and just paint the burgundy section yellow, and then he would have a yellow and black Charleston. I think that's a bit too loud for him. I, I, but I think his uh, idea was the the gray, the doing the gray on gray, because it's a, it's a lovely but yet very subtle color for the Charlestons. Because the yellow is very, whoa, oh my god, I, that's a car. Yeah, the the gray would be, the gray does sort of speak to. Uh, the the stereotypical aloof Parisian persona. Instead of the care? yellow and black. Ah, oh, look at me! I am a bumblebee. Ah, <laughs> oh, we. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I could see the great. But the the Dochevo is so cute. You can paint them just about any way you fancy, and it's going to look good. So, did you know back in the day? I forget exactly what year it was. Because uh, I mean, they've made so many odd additions and special thing of the the 2cv the dochevo but they had one that was the perrier edition that had these plastic hubcaps that looked like perrier bottle caps and it had this little graphics and it had a little perrier cooler in it and i tried a perrier dochevo oui monsieur 
And the the real irony is, um, it was actually demand from the British market that uh, you know drove Perrier's business. As French as Perrier is, if it weren't for British demand, it wouldn't be there. The same goes for Champagne. Like, really? Yeah, the the bubbles were not entirely desirable, but English folks just found they liked it, and the the French winemakers catered to that demand. So as French as they are, their their existence was driven by by demand from from the you know stiff upper stiff upper lip, but you know binge drinking Brits on the other side of the channel. I did not know that. That is really good to know. So are you going to make this uh, non-such coffee cake minced meat uh, thing you posted? Which I would actually eat that. You know, it's really tempting. It's the kind of thing I might do around Christmas or if I have company or something. Because generally we try not to have sweet baked goods in the house because we'll eat them if we do. I, I would say my favorite thing, and I, I'm very guilty of doing this, is I have a book of, I, I call it my... Uh, my recipes of uh, much-needed desire from drinking, and I'll, I'll have too many libations and go, I want to bake, and then I'll pull out a recipe like this and make it, and people will be like, well, that was different, and I was like, shush, I was drunk, okay? <laughs> drunk baking is one of the best things in the world. It really and truly is. I, I've done it since I was, you know, in my 20s, and, and it, it is just phenomenal. It's like, it, and, it's, and it's much safer than drunk driving. Okay, that's it. It's written in stone. I'm going to come up and spend the weekend with you. We're going to do a Motors and Martinis live. We're going to have too many libations and bake a couple of things and be ridiculous old house queens. Oh, I think that's fantastic. We absolutely should. Actually, we could even make it. I think that would be a great time to do a crossover episode where Motors and Martinis is in video form and is on Carrie's Garage. I think that's a good idea. Anyone out there listening, if you would watch that and want to encourage us do it because uh i think we should make this happen i've been wanting to come out and visit anyways yeah eat your heart out b dylan hollis i bet you can't change your own oil oh that never mind i'm i'm not gonna say yeah anything. i know i shouldn't be we're not say going anything. to say anything unkind i'm sure he's a lovely individual oh no i quite like him my my partner's always like oh my god you're gonna leave me for him and i'm like well he does drive a cadillac and can't bake so well, he drives that. a Cadillac. I'm, I, I'm starting to like him a little more. Although between his, B. His... Dylan Hollis and uh, um, oh, why am I blanking on it? The conventionally handsome food history guy. Um, <gasps> oh God, Max he Miller. Is... Ma oh my God, he makes oh yeah. I a mm -hmm. I love his channel because he's brilliant. His history and history for me is I'm a massive like soft spot for me. But his channel is brilliant. I love watching him. It, well, his episodes are incredibly well researched he does a very good job of conveying a lot of information in a short period of time and he does it without any histrionics or gimmicks it's just very well timed very well presented and i commend him for that and he's also got those dreamy blue eyes oh. But yeah, uh, Dylan Hollis, his daily driver is a 64 four-door Cadillac, and he also has like a late 80s uh, square body Suburban. And uh, yeah. Okay, well, that, 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 that definitely earns him some, some, uh, some cred, in my opinion. I, I, will, uh, I, will give him, uh, I will give him the props, as they say. Indeed. But we are going to have to make that happen, which also, by the way, kind of a random side subject. I'm being very ADD today, so it's being kind of appropriate. What did you think about my little stick-in fake sponsor of uh, the last episode? 
Oh, I thought that was absolutely delightful because I know that's something we discussed for a long time. So to actually have a sponsor is just, you know, what could be better? I think this episode might be sponsored by Racing Water. So I've got that one in the works too. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Le Parfumant, your specialty French performance water for when you need that extra kick in your steam car. Approved by Abner Doble. Although, I, I don't know, I've, I have put out feelers to, to Greasy Pierre's Wine Bar and Citroen Repair Garage to see if they'd be interested in sponsoring us. Hmm. Anyway, oh my goodness, look at the time. How did we get so long? Well, what did you think about my, uh, my subject topic matter for doing a series? Well, I thought it was great, and we've been wanting to get guests on the show for a long time. We've had some emails from listeners who are interested in being guests, and I think that uh, we should reach out to them and see if maybe they'd like to be on the next episode of Motors and Martinis. I think at this point, everything is pretty much set up to the point, other than we need to re-up our Zoom thing to be able to do guest speakers, which... I'll talk to you about that off camera. Other than that, um, the couple of people who've reached out, I or Brian or both of us will be sending you an email and we can figure out setting up a time to do a guest appearance. And for anyone who wants to participate in how you became who you are as a automotive person, collector, enthusiast, and such, please send us an email, motorsandmartinispodcast at gmail.com. We would love to have you and we're continuing to grow this wonderful, odd, unique venture and as we've said before, we are trying to be regular on scheduling. Um, I think as the summer ends and we get into fall, we'll be able to do it a little bit more regularly, planning-wise, as also I'm doing my YouTube channel. But, you know, we are we are who we are. We have lives. We try and stay busy, and uh, we do what we can do. But as usual, Brian, it's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Carrie. And uh, before we sign off, I'd just like to remind everyone listening that if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy what Carrie and I do, please, please share motors and martinis with your friends. That would be helping us and hopefully helping them as well. And as usual, now that we've motored, go ahead, pour yourself a martini, and thank you so much for listening in. We will catch you on the next episode. Ciao, ciao.